Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. The Bible never teaches the flip side. The Bible never says that God chooses people for hell. The Bible actually says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is not willing, doesn't want any, that any should perish, which is die and go to hell, but that all should come to repentance. You know, some people got an image of God, like God's up there like, I just want people to pay for their sin. I want you, you're going to go to hell. God's like, I I really would prefer. No, I'm not willing. That's not my will. I wish everybody would repent and be saved. That's what God really wants. The church always seems to struggle with ideas of doctrine. We argue about the unspoken things in the Bible when really we should simply accept the mysteries of God. Pastor Bill reminds us today that God desires for all people to repent and be saved. He wants to spend eternity with all his people, despite the sins they've committed and the falls they've endured. Don't get caught up in all the details when all you really need to know is that God loves you and wants to call you his child. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. I do know that I had an opportunity to be saved when I was 16 and I rejected the Lord. I exercised my free will and said, I don't want to do this. And I went on about my life wrecking havoc on myself for three more years. And I believe if I died in those three years, I would have went to hell. Guilty of rejecting Jesus. I believe that. I believe that God was merciful to me and let me live three more years and, you know, use people to bring the gospel. And God knew how I was wired. God used, God used people. He used my buddy Curtis to preach to me. He used a guy at the airport to hand me a track that said, what to do to go to hell? Nothing. And, you know, told me I was already going to hell because I don't believe. And he used a sequence of things to bring me to a place where I understood that one, God was reaching out to me. Two, that I was going to die and go to hell if I didn't turn. And somehow this thing that I had, I had, I had a tight argument against every Christian that would come. Most Christians live foul. And so any Christian came to me that I know you was living foul, I blast you about your lifestyle. Shut up. You have sex. You get drunk. You drink more than I do. You smoke weed. You do drugs. You come buy weed from me. Now you're going to preach the gospel to me. Go home. You know, that, that was my most, most people I knew that went to church wasn't about nothing. Thankfully, my buddy Curtis, that guy is the first Christian I knew that there was a real, like, legitimate, his life turned around. And I used to try to, hey, man, come to the thing. I'll pay for everything. He was like, no, I'm good, bro. I don't do it no more. Come on, man. You know, and I'll try to bait him in and he just wouldn't. I went to go work out with him and we and him had a we had a scuffle one year. We was kids on a fourth of July. So I'm like, he'll fight. And we go to work out and I'm like, I'm going to just I'm going to disrespect him until we can get something cracked. I mean, I want I just want to see the old Kirk come out, you know, and I'm pressing him. And he's like, man, he's like, I just not dealing with you. He just he just wouldn't bite. And I remember because of that, when he would share, I felt like I got to listen because I know he really about this. So really be careful about your witnessing your testimony because that was who God had to use in my life because I wasn't hearing nobody fake. But he had the right to speak into my life because of who he was. God knew I was that way. And the mercy of God to send him, you know what God did? I'm living in an apartment, shacked up with someone I'm not married to, living in sin, selling weed, partying, drinking every day. God takes this guy that's from my neighborhood that I got love for, moved him in my apartment building with his wife. Right upstairs from me, upstairs. I mean, when they when they do like this, I'm like, that's them upstairs, you know. Right upstairs, that's what God did to me. Like, you gonna get this? You gonna? And I did. That's how I got saved. And I look back and I think I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't in pursuit of the Lord. I was lost. That's what it means to be lost. I was lost and I didn't know it. 
And then God came and did that. And so everybody here has your story, how God did it in your life, um, how he opened up your eyes, how he brought you. But God says, I chose you. I came after you. And maybe I came through your parents. Maybe I came through friends. Maybe I came through. But I came. I came. I revealed myself to you. That's why you're here today. None of us can boast. Amen. But we can be so thankful. We should be and we can be so thankful that God did this for us. Amen. And so, again, um, God, uh, he elected or he chose beforehand. We know that he does so according to his foreknowledge, says that. We know that those who hear and believe the gospel are the elect. First Thessalonians chapter one, four to seven. And so here's the thing on the other. The Bible never teaches the flip side. The Bible never says that God chooses people for help. The Bible actually says in second Peter three, nine, that God is not willing, doesn't want any that any should perish, which is die and go to hell. But that all should come to repentance. You know, some people got an image of God, like God's up there, like, I just want people to pay for their sin. I want you, you're going to go to hell. God's like, I, I really would prefer not. I'm not willing. That's not my will. I wish everybody would repent and be saved. That's what God really wants, that everybody would just turn from sin and turn to him. That's that's his heart desire for all of us, that we would turn. And so uh, once again, in verse um, four, just as he chose us in him. Now it says before the foundation of the world. How did he do that? That means before you existed, before your parents existed, before the foundation of the world, God knew who would be here today. And so when God says, so one of the guys, uh, I forgot which guy said this, but he said, and I'm glad God chose me before the foundation of the world. Because if he had waited to meet me, he would have never chose me, you know. <laughs> and um, it's funny, but it's not true. Right. Because here's the cool thing for every believer here. Right. Um, when you fail and you fail you, and you, you blow it. Everybody here fail sometimes? Raise your hand. Raise them high. All right, we fail. We blow it, right? This, now, I don't think we should be like, okay, well, pff, I, you know, I, God knows, so I'm going to fail, you know? This, this just ministers to me, though, that God knew every failure, future, when he chose you. God knew. He, know, he didn't just know all your successes. He didn't know all the things you was going to do right. God said, I knew every time you was going to mess up on me. When I chose you and I picked up picture, what should that do to the believer? The Bible says the goodness of God brings us to repentance. That should just break. That breaks me. I'm thinking, man, God, and I look back at all the stuff I've done with my eyes wide open since I've been saved. And God said, I knew all that. Still love you. Still picked you. Still chose you to be mine. Knowing all that. We're not like God, right? We're not like God. If you hear, if anybody here is getting married and, and you can see in the future, He's going to cheat on me four times in this marriage. You'd be like, nah, that's the wrong one. You know, and I hope that's what you would concur. You'd be like, nah, that's not the one for me. Lord, I need the one where I can see that there'll be no cheating in my future. You know, um, <laughs> God's like, uh, but y'all been cheating on me since we started. But I still love you. And that's not intended to cause us to run forward in rebellion. But it, it should it should humble and break the believer that God, the goodness of God should bring us. Thank you. Thank you that you hung in there with me, Lord, through those rough patches. Thank, thank you that you were merciful to me in those seasons of rebellion and disobedience. And, 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 and now I want to live in, in obedience. I want to glorify you in my life. And that's what we're going to come to in chapter three, four, five. And, I mean, four, five and six is how we get to respond to all that God has done for us. And so, but first we've got to finish hearing all he's done for us. So let's keep moving. So uh, we were chose before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so God says, I, I, 
the, the work that I've done in your life is that you would be holy, set apart by the Lord and for the Lord. That there'd be a purity about our lives as well, um, that we'd be without blame before him in love. Now, how do guilty people get to be without blame? Right. God said, I did that for you. Everybody here, we all raise our hands. Some of y'all raise both hands. We all acknowledge that we're guilty, right? We've sinned, we've blown it. And so, but God, how do guilty people get to be without blame? Because God washes away our sins. That means, um, I, I love this in Jude, and you can just uh, look at it later. Jude is just a one chapter book. But in Jude verse 24 and 25, it says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, I bet you will be glad, present you faultless. And one day you're going to stand before God Almighty and all of his glory, all of his power, all of his might, faultless. Jesus is able to present you and me faultless. That's wonderful to be guilty and know I'm guilty, but to be presented faultless. This is the thought I had. I, I, I should have um, I graduated high school in 93 and my senior year of high school, I should have been expelled. And not graduated, but I got to graduate on time. No thanks to me. So uh, <laughs> thanks to somebody else in my school. There was um, a group of us went on a Tuesday morning uh, to celebrate one of my friend's birthday. So on the way to school, we went to the park and we got drunk. Then we went to school drunk and we got to school. And there was about 13 of us that did this at the park or whatever. I'm in my first period class, just kind of, you know, chilling and, you know, being goofy and whatnot. And uh, my buddy's girlfriend is a T.A., and she comes to the door and she's like, come here. And I go over there. She's like, you know, I won't name the guy, but she tells me the kid's name. She said, this kid got caught. He told on everybody. And I was like, oh, man. You know, one of those guys that we don't normally let come hang out. He was like, I'm going to go hang out, guys. And he came and he snitched on everybody. And so I'm like, man, you know, that's this is terrible news, you know. And so we and we sit there and not too long later, here comes the note and sing you to the office. And we all go down to the office. Now, in my high school, we had a football player who was all city, all state. He was he was all that kid was the business. And the school was getting lots of publicity because of him. Well, thank God he went with us that morning. So <laughs> he, he had accompanied us that morning. So as we all get to the office, there's some hooligan kids that they would have loved to kick us the kick out, right? Um, I played football, but I wasn't him. I wasn't, they wasn't no publicity coming on my behalf. That's just the truth. But um, as we all came in, I remember the shock on the guy's face when that kid came in. They were like, he was like, you were there? And he just, you know, went and sat down and whatever. And then this kid got, you know, he ended up getting, you know, to USC and all kind of other stuff. And I kid you not, this is what happened. To save him, they have the breathalyzer. The guy in front of us kicks the batteries out, puts the thing back on and says, you know, breathe. And I'm, I'm, we, we're plenty drunk, I promise you. We're breathing. He's even acknowledging that he can smell it on us. And he just breathing. He took the batteries out so nothing happens. And, he, you know, they do the sanitizer, give it to the next kid. And they're like, well, I don't know why this isn't going off, but you guys are just going to sit here. And what he did that day was decided that we don't want to lose this kid. So y'all are all going to be saved on his behalf. Now, I liked him already. I said, hey, bro, you my, you my dude right here, man. So on that day, right, I, and I just, it, I thought of it when I looked at this. I was, we were all guilty, but we got to be innocent that day, right? We got to be presented faultless because of him, right? 
Now, that's how I graduated. I mean, I would not have graduated high school. There were two other occasions that would have kept me from graduating. God was very merciful to me. God was like, let him graduate high school, you know? But when we stand before the Lord, guilty, but Jesus is going to present us faultless. God did that for me, right? I, didn't, I, I can look back at high school and say, I didn't graduate. I didn't deserve to graduate. I should have been expelled there, but my boy Joe Henderson got me out. Um, I should have been expelled in my when I took finals for my history final because I cheated and I got caught. But Mr. Harrison was merciful and said, I'm going to give you a D and not an F. So I don't want you to be held back like that. And that teacher was like, I'm going to be merciful. And there was one other occasion. And I look back and I just think, God, I, I look back now. I got my diploma. I'm on about my life, you know, looking normal and regular. I graduate high school. I'm at the graduation with my hat like everybody else. But I didn't deserve it. There are guys that I knew that didn't get to walk. But I did. Why? Because people showed me mercy. None of us deserve heaven, but every one of us, when we get there, and I believe every time you get a glimpse of heaven and people are on their faces just worshiping, I think there's a recognition and a realization to everybody that we don't deserve this, but I think everybody gets there is just overwhelmed with the blessing that God did this for me. And if we can kind of know that now, I think it'll impact our lives, it'll impact our worship, it'll impact our love for the Lord, it'll impact our you know, what we're, what we're willing to do for the Lord. When I understand the gospel, when I understand what God has done for me, then I think the, the attitude and the mindset becomes, God, whatever you want. Like, I'd do anything for you, Lord. Look what you did for me. The most important thing is done for me already. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be presented faultless. So whatever else you want with this life, whatever else it looks like it might cost me, you got it. You can have this life. You can have the rest of this thing. Uh, and I believe that that's where the Lord wants us to get, uh, to where he could just have. Whatever's left of this life, Lord, you're welcome to it. You can have it. Verse five. Now it says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. And so we have that God chose us. Now we have here that he predestined. Uh, predestined idea is kind of foreordination. God foreordaining something to be. And God says now. We know we're chosen. I also, in advance, decided that you're going to be adopted. Now, in, in this time, this adoption is kind of, it would have meant something different to them, the words that it means to us in our culture. When you became adopted back in this era, I mean, you, you became a new person. You, you basically became a brand new. If you were adopted from one family into another family in this era, the biblical era, the people he was speaking to, not only did you take on the new name of your family, but any debt or things that were connected to where you were coming from, they were absolved. All that was over with. Now, you're, you're, when you were adopted in, it wasn't like, well, he's an adopted kid. He's got a different last name. He said, no, you're, when you become adopted in, you are part of the family. All the same rights legally as anybody else. Dad dies. You get, you know, fair share of the inheritance. Today, if you adopt a kid and, you know, you got three of your kids and the kids you adopt, unless you write it up just so, it's not that way. But in this era... When you were adopted in, you were a child with full rights, full access. This is now your dad, your family. That is no longer your family. This is your family. Here's what God is saying I did for you. I foreordained that you be adopted in. You belong to another family. But I've adopted you in. I, I, I decided that a long time ago. I elected you. I, I predestined you to, to be in my family, to be one of my sons. And if you're a woman, a daughter, and a son's the same thing. So it's, it's not a, it's only, he, don't, he don't just have male children. So um, God said, I, I preordained that this would be the case. When you think of adoption, kids that are adopted are chosen. 
right? They all want to be adopted, but only some get chosen. They get adopted in or whatever. God says, look, you're, you're, you're one of the special ones. You were chosen by me. I picked you. And for those on earth that feel rejected or despised or let down or whatever else, God said, but I, I chose you. I adopted you. I wanted you. I want you. Uh, and, and I went through great lengths and great measures to make you mine, to make you one of my children. Um, you're born into the family of God. We know that we're also adopted in. God said, that's the part that I, I adopted you into the family of God. And so, again, it says he predestined us to adoption as sons. And how did he do that? It was by Jesus Christ to himself. And this, listen, listen to this. According to the good pleasure of his will. We wonder what, what, what makes God happy? What brings God pleasure? God said, when I adopt some kids. When I, when I get someone that wasn't mine, they become mine to the good pleasure of his will. That pleases God. And again, what should that do for the believer? He already got me, but I want to share that story. Amen. I know some people that don't know him yet. I know some people that are part of that other family right now. I know some people that don't have all the rights of relationship with Jesus Christ. And God would say, Bill, tell them. Tell them about me because it brings me great pleasure if I can bring some of them in. And how do I know that some of them aren't preordained? How do I know that some of them aren't having a date where God says, ah, I knew you would come. You would come right then. Maybe some of those people that you're looking at right now are saying they look like they would never come. And God is saying, but how did you? Somebody would have said that about you one day. Don't ever think that about a person. Don't ever look at someone and say, nah, that, not that one. Sometimes those are the closest ones. Those that look like they would never come. And so we want to be out there just sharing. And God said, look, this brings me pleasure. And so, uh, again, he says, according to the good pleasure of his will, verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And so it says to the praise of the glory of his grace. And this is what it does, right? When when people receive the gospel, when people are chosen by the Lord, people are adopted into the family of God. It's to the praise and the glory of what? His grace. It all goes back to him. It's like God, God said when, when that happens and there's praise and glory that goes to the fact that I am gracious, that I give what people don't deserve. This is different than other religions, you guys. Notice that there's no person gloating here. There's nobody here saying, you know, I fasted 20 days. I, I crawled up there on my knees. You know, I sacrificed. I went to Mecca. I did. I did. None of that. It's to the praise and glory of his grace. You get a room full of people that are born again of the spirit of God. And we can praise and glorify God for what? For his grace. God, thank you that you're good to sinners. Thank you that you're good to us even when we're not good to you, Lord. Thank you for your favor. That's undeserved. It's unmerited, but it's ours because you're gracious. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you're a gracious God. It's to the praise and glory of his grace. And note that even because, you know, we can see Christianity done wrong. We've seen, you know, some, I'm sure most of us have seen legalistic Christianity, you know, where people begin to feel good about themselves because they don't do what you do do, you know, or they, they wear the right outfit. You're not wearing it. And so I, I mean, I feel one up on you. That's not biblical Christian. Biblical Christian, I, I could be in a room full of people that as long as we acknowledge that he did this for us, I don't care what you wore. I don't care what your hair looked like. I don't care what you put on your face. But, but are we acknowledging that Jesus did this for us? Because then we can, this is to the praise and glory of his grace. Because he was good to you for nothing. And he was good to you for nothing. He was good to me for nothing. I'm not looking for you to earn it because I didn't earn it. Right? But something happens in the mind that a person that thinks somehow they earn favor with God by what they do. They think you don't have it because you're not doing it. But when you understand grace, you can look at everybody and realize that it's, it's for everybody. God will be good to people that don't deserve him to be good to them. And so you can look at the worst people and know that God's grace, there's grace for him. There's grace for her. 
And it, it takes away some of that judgmental yuckiness um, that that church folk can be known for. Uh, it just give us a, it bring it bring us down a little bit, you know, where where we might be a lot more useful in his hands. Amen. Amen. Verse um, the second part of verse six of the praise and glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And so once again, we already looked at Jude, but God made us accepted in the beloved in the beloved is speaking of Jesus Christ. He made us accepted. And verse seven says in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And we're going to stop right there. I want to say this about verse seven. It was in, we, we looked early in verse three at the work of God, the father and all that he did predestined, choosing so forth and so on. But now in verse seven, it switches over and we look at in him, in Jesus, what did Jesus do? We have redemption through the blood, through his blood. I'm sorry, the forgiveness of sins. And I just want to explain redemption and what that is. Redemption is the it's, it's buying back. And a lot of people don't recognize this, but you had to be purchased and you had to be purchased back. Who did Jesus blood purchase you back from? The devil. the devil, Satan, the devil. I heard I heard different. Yeah, you belonged to the devil. A lot of people don't want to acknowledge it. No, I didn't. I never worshiped the devil. No, no, you didn't have to worship the devil. When you didn't belong to God, you belonged to the devil. That's the tragedy of being lost. You're at the whim of the devil. He owns you. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The one that hates you has you. And that's why, Jesus, I'm, 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 I'm coming after people. I want to purchase you out of bondage. And so I want you to consider, consider that you were a slave and you had a, a hellish slave owner and he hated you. And he just, everything he did to you was to destroy you, to break you down, to, to, to just, just, he was just a horrendous, horrible, horrible person. Sometimes, what people would do was they would purchase someone out of slavery. And so they would go and buy you out. I'm going to buy that slave. That slave's for sale. I'm going to buy him from me. But I'm buying you to unslave you. I'm buying you out of bondage to him that you could be free. And there was an era where people would do that. There were people that would, they would literally buy a slave not to enslave them themselves. I'm buying you out of slavery to him. Just so you, you no longer belong to him. I'm buying you out. And when Jesus redeems you, you belong to Satan who came to steal, kill, and destroy, ruin your life because I purchased you out of his cover. I purchased you away from him that you might now live for me. Now, the way that God calls to live for him is that we, we have free will, right? A slave, a, a true slave owner, you don't have free will. You're going to do it. I'm going to whip you. God says, no, I bought you out of that. I've redeemed you out of that sort of relationship with the one that hates you. And now I hope, God's hoping that the more we understand how much he loves us, and what he's done in love for us that we would, God, I'll serve you because I want to serve you. No whips necessary, right? You, you purchased me out of slavery. You purchased me out of bondage. And so we know that God's, I, I purchased you with my blood. In 1 Corinthians um, 6, he says, you know, do you not know that your body is a temple of God and that you belong, the Holy Spirit, you've been purchased with the blood of Christ. You belong to the Lord. This body is not our own. And even though you get up and you make it do whatever you want to make it do, he says, it's not your own. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. Guys, you were bought at a price. The blood of Jesus was not cheap, right? Y'all were expensive. Y'all weren't cheap. Y'all weren't low. Y'all want the lower rack of stuff. Uh, Y'all cost him everything. 
And as we understand that, again, it's, it's the trade-off. God, did, God, you were willing to do that for me? Even when I didn't know you, like you, love you, obey you? Yes. Redeemed you. And so we'll close with that. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's what uh, results from the redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. Thanks for joining Pastor Bill on the Transforming Word as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you're ever or near the Inglewood area, you are more than welcome to join us this weekend for church. We meet at Calvary Inglewood every Sunday and Wednesday, and you can get more information on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. You also can call or text us, too, for more information. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that's 310-245-4811. If you're looking for more resources or ways to connect with us, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just look for the links on our website. Again, that is calvaryinglewood.org. As you listen to today's message, we pray that it has not only inspired you in your faith journey, but challenged you in your relationships. The book of Ephesians was written by Paul around the time he was in prison in Rome. This is one of the most inspiring things about Paul. Even when he was facing some of the heaviest of trials, he was still focused on the gospel mission. He still urged unity. He wrote of patience and love and encouraged people to be as one, just as God the Father is one with His Spirit and His Son. This may seem like an impossible thing to accomplish, but when you're living in the Spirit and by the Spirit, it's easier to genuinely love those around you. Well, that's all we have time for today. But Pastor Bill will have more to share from the book of Ephesians next time on A Transforming Word.